Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. And today, we're going to be talking about worker placement games. Woo! I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he and him. And my name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. Um, I'm an electrician, so please thank me for my service on this Labor Day weekend. Yes, it's Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. Let's enjoy a day off work and talk about worker placement games. So before we get into it, before we have to learn what workers are and what games are and what placement is, we have a segment on this podcast called The Weekend Hobby, where we talk about what we've done the last week in our hobby stuff. Uh, I'll go first. Uh, The first thing, the big cool thing, is that I've started really cranking out some battle maps. I just posted one of a herbalist shop. It's a little 10 by 10 map of a standard fantasy herbalist plant shop full of plants. Uh, You can find it on our website, and I put it on Twitter and also on Reddit. So go look for that. It's free. Get some maps, y'all. Also ran my standard Eberron Games. In one of them, the party entered into a dragon shard that uh, they had recovered and that held part of the magical power of an ancient demon. Uh, Inside the little pocket dimension of the dragon shard, there was a demon and, like, river of acid. And they essentially... And some crystals and other stuff. And essentially, they had to kill the demon, which required destroying the crystals. And it hit them with poison and acid attacks and like the river of acid rose each turn um and it used dominate person on the barbarian and got him which uh took away like their primary damage output and frontline person um yeah it it was a tough fight but they managed to do it kill the demon And then the whole realm started getting sucked into, like, a black void. Mm -hmm. And they eventually had to, like, just jump in. And it kicked them back out on the place that they used to get into the shard in the first place. Um, I'll say that this was a pretty good, like, little end cap thing for what they'd been doing. They leveled up. And now they have three other shards to go find. And... The gist of it is each shard is linked to two types of magical damage. In this case, it was acid and poison. Uh, Another one is going to be linked to fire and cold damage. Another one is going to be linked to lightning and thunder damage. Another one is going to be linked to radiant and necronic damage. And the final shard that contains the actual monster is linked to force and psychic damage. So... Essentially, the idea is that by going into each of these shards and destroying the beast that lays within them, they prevent the final boss from having access to those magical abilities. But if your players were truly, truly bosses, they would just just do the boss without without all the upgrades. I mean, yes, they've mentioned it but also they're like you know we should probably go around and break these things just to just to prevent anything from going horribly horribly wrong which you know that's what i want them to do so yeah also they're level 11 now and the boss is like cr 20 something so that that would be bad if they just went straight for him probably they would get killed oh they would get killed so 
hard. In my other group, uh, one of the players couldn't make it, so we did a little side session where the two players that were there took control of members of the airship crew and ran around doing a shopping trip that those guys had gone on like mm -hmm. previously in the story, like two or three weeks behind where the story actually is. Uh, it was just them running around the city of Sharn trying to get uh, supplies for the ship. They needed to get food. They needed to get winter clothing. They needed to get uh, dragon shards. And if they had any money left over, they were supposed to buy beverages for the crew. Um, they got their food. They got their winter clothing with a little bit of haggling and a little bit of generating fake money. And then they, you know persuaded the Warforged selling kind of shady uh, crystals that he, in fact, did not want to be a con man shopkeeper. He wanted to be a sailor. <laughs> um, and he just left his stand and they collected all the crystals. They rolled poorly to collect the crystals. So they, like, three quarters of what they collected was just, like, chunks of glass that had been painted orange by the con man Warforged. Nice. Uh, they fought some randos that were hassling a shopkeeper, and, uh, yeah. It was just a good little, here's a side campaign, here's what other pl people are doing. You created these crew members, and so now you get to see what they do day to day. Party time. Uh, also got to hang out with some people and play some board games. Uh, we played... Star Realms, which is a deck building game. We played Cartographers, which I've talked about, and we played Click Clack Lumberjack, which is a classic dexterity lumberjacking game kind of thing. So, Ed, what about your weekend hobby? Oh, boy. I didn't really do anything this week. In the true spirit of Labor Day, work has just been absolutely nuts. And more often than not, I would immediately come home and pass out of sleep. And then uh, the other day I tweaked my wrist, which is the wrist that I use to hold things when I paint. So I'm giving it a bit of a rest and uh, not really doing anything at the moment, unfortunately. Yay, weekend hobby. Aw, all right. So in that case, with the weekend hobby covered, let's get down to business. And by business, I mean worker placement games. So, first question, what are workers? What um, are games? What is placement? We just don't know. I, I think workers, I think we do things that make money for capitalists, and we don't get that money back. Sounds about right, but we're not going to employ the Socratic method here. We're just going to talk about what worker placement games are. So, worker placement games are games in which players take turns placing tokens, usually little meeples, you know, the little tiny simplistic wood people. Uh, but they can be other things. They can just be cubes. They can be tokens. They can be anything. To trigger actions that are printed on the board. Typically, these actions are available to all the players, uh, and sometimes they get locked out as you place a worker. Uh, the general goal of most worker placement games is economic rather than direct conflict. Players are using the workers that they place to gain resources and to capture some form of victory points uh, or items that you need to win or something, rather than to directly attack 
opponents. Again, this is not always the case, but mostly the case. Typically, a worker placement game is more about gathering resources and building yourself a strong position than it is about fighting somebody. Generally speaking, Keydom, which was published in 1998, is considered the first worker placement game. Keydom was a British game about placing workers in order to gain resources and collect three specific items that would allow you to claim victory. It was set in sort of medieval Britain-Europe-esque thing, where you essentially got to pick what guild of tradespeople you were playing as, and could then, you know, place your tokens to gather resources as that guild of tradespeople. Um, you could also place things to get knights and gain spells and do sort of fantasy stuff. But the general goal of the game was place your workers, gather resources, and then get the three items you need in order to crown yourself king. Since 1998, there have been a lot of other worker placement games. It's a very simple mechanic, and it can be applied really easily to just about any theme. Uh, the general setup has been refined quite heavily by various games, and the idea of placing a token to gain some sort of resource and using the placement of tokens and the limitations on what you can place, where you can place, how many resources you get from a token is sort of what makes the games tactically interesting. Because you are placing tokens and getting, you know, a specific resource each time, they tend to have less overall randomness than games that rely on dice or decks of cards. Uh, typically, when there is randomness, it's done via decks of cards to some extent in either changing what the turn goals are or changing what you can do on any particular turn or just, you know, giving you bonus resources or something like that. Uh, I've played several games where one of the things your worker can do is get you more cards that allow you to do more things. Uh, for the most part, they differ from engine building games in that you don't always have a system specific to you that you improve. Most of the time, the actions are available to everyone on the board rather than just uh, one player at a time in their personal little resource pool. Ed, any comments? Worker placements? Uh, that sounds that sounds about right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think I prefer engine building as a, as a system to worker placement, just because I like to see things build up and then kind of continue on and perpetuate themselves. But I also like the strategy of having workers that are for the most part non-renewable, unless you're playing something like Carcassonne, where once you complete a uh, building or task, you get them back. Um, but it just adds an extra layer of strategy that might not otherwise be there. Yeah, so let's talk about some specific worker placement games. And for the first, Carcassonne. Carcassonne is a hybrid tile placement worker placement game. Because in Carcassonne, what you're really doing is placing tiles and then 
placing workers to score off of those tiles that you just placed. The placement of the workers is not available to everyone. It's only available to the person who has just placed a tile. And the workers are more of a way to track your score than they are to actually gain resources. So it has worker placement, but the worker placement is definitely not the central theme of the game. I believe we've talked about Carcassonne in one of our previous episodes. Yep. Um, another quite popular one is Viticulture, which is a game about making wine. Yeah. And I guess making money off of the wine that you've made. Uh, Viticulture is heavy on the worker placement because, uh, like I said, you need to place the workers in order to gain the resources in order to make the wine. Uh, Viticulture is also interesting in that it has a little bit of a engine building, base building kind of function because each player has their own vineyard. And you can use your workers to gather the resources and then trade the resources to get facilities in your vineyard, like a extra warehouse or a pressing room or, you know, bigger vineyards or whatever that allow you to get more resources faster in future turns. So there is something of an engine building component to it. Uh, another one with an engine building component is Everdell. I don't think Everdell, I've heard of that one. It's fairly new. I've played it. It's cool. It's sort of the forest animal village type game where you are, you know, you're playing as a collection of weird little forest animals and your worker placement is uh, like you could be squirrels or birds or whatever. Get and, squirrels. And the general concept is that it's worker placement plus base building plus cards to some extent uh, as you attempt to build the strongest village in the forest. Uh, it's a very pretty game, has some really neat setup stuff. My biggest complaint about it is that towards the end of the game, it can take a longer because you get more workers as the game goes on. So the last round can kind of drag as people try to maximize their total point score by placing worker after worker and just triggering events and cards and stuff. It can it, the last round on it is not great, uh... at least when I've played. Another classic of the genre is Agricola. Agricola, which that's is, another one I want to play. Yes, it is a medieval farming simulator. Is you it medieval place or workers. Roman? I, I thought it was Roman for some reason. Historical farming simulator. You place workers to gather resources so that your farm survives the winter. It's very... It's one of the classics of the worker placement genre. Another more recent one is Lost Ruins of Arnak, which that is... That familiar. We've talked about it briefly. It is adventure archaeology. You're exploring a distant land full of ruins and weird guardian monsters. Uh, the gist of that one is essentially that you are doing worker placement plus a little bit of base building, but the bases tend to be open to other players to play into. It's just that you get resources for doing so. And it also has cards, and it's sort of adventure theme. And the mechanics allow you to conquer stuff and explore. And that's one of the big focuses is the exploration of the board and unlocking new areas and new um, 
places to play, put your workers. Worker placement good, imperialism bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it sidesteps the imperialism and native people's issues by having the island be uninhabited. Fair enough. Um, which is kind of a weak way to do it rather than directly confronting it, but we'll have an entire episode on board games and colonialism at some point. So, you know, just wait for that. Speaking of board games and colonialism, Archipelago is colonialism the game. It's, uh, you've arrived in the new world and you have to build up your resources. I don't think I've heard of that one, but for some reason it sounds familiar. Yeah, I tried to play it with a group once and we didn't get very far, so. Any particular reason? Uh, it was late and people were not willing to learn a new game at that time of night. That's fair enough. And the rules were not written super clearly, at least from what I remember. It was years ago. It's like when my wife and I tried to learn how to play Puerto Rico. We had kind of a similar thing. Yeah. Um, but in a different style, Lords of Waterdeep. Yeah, gets which is a D&D. Yes, it's a Dungeons & Dragons board game in which you play a faction of the Lords of Waterdeep, something like the Harpers or the Red Wizards or some various group. You collect adventurers as your resource and then spend those adventurers to complete quests, which give you victory points. So it has worker placement plus resource collection, and then you have cards that you can use and buildings that you can create that give you more resources when other people play into them and sort of... It's not quite engine building, but it is definitely about improving resource management. Do adventurers count as proletariat? Uh, I mean, they're independent contractors, so I guess. I like that answer. The, I mean, they really are independent contractors. So, yeah. Lords of Waterdeep, quite fun. I recommend it. Uh, in terms of these games, it's a good entry point, especially if you are playing with a group that already knows Dungeons & Dragons a little because you see the interest of it. Um, but then we have other ones like Parks, which I think came out in 2020, 2021. It's about visiting national parks. I've got that one. We just haven't played That's it yet. The core concept of the game. It's very pretty. Yep. It's done up in the like uh, national park poster style. And the worker placement is, you know, going around to the various national parks trying to collect. I think just like memories of visiting the national parks or like souvenirs or something. Um. So, yeah, that's a way that you can do it. You know, that extends the theme beyond just gathering resources. It's more about gathering experiences in that one. Uh, there's another one called Tokaido, which is about, I believe, just traveling around Japan or building a city in Japan. I've never actually gotten a chance to play it. I have seen it in board game stores for years. And I've always wanted because the art looks cool and, you know, it just seemed like an interesting game. So at some point I will play it and then we'll talk about it in Board Game Corner. I, uh, I don't think I've played Tokaido as far as I can remember. Yeah. And then we also have Dune Imperium. Dune! I realized that we didn't talk about Dune at all in our uh, 
episode on sci-fi settings and we said that there weren't any sci-fi games that had really made a good jump into the board game category uh dune is the exception to that because there are a lot of dune board games there are a lot of dune board games i didn't talk about it in general because i feel like dune is not a great setting for role-playing games uh that is a correct assumption yeah, it doesn't have a lot of room for small groups of people that go out and do big changes. There's not a lot of things for adventurers to do. You There's wander a lot out of... into the desert and die or get purged or yeah. something horrific happens because they can always see you at all times. Yeah, it's a game. A Dune game would have to really be about large scale politics and other things things and it's dune i don't think makes for a good role-playing game which is why we really didn't cover it when we did sci-fi settings and role-playing games however it makes a good board game because that exact thing the fact that it's about large-scale politics between different groups is perfect for board games so dune imperium allows you to control the spice and therefore control the universe it must flow Uh, really Really, it's about controlling Arrakis, the planet with, which makes spice. So, yeah, you control the spice. You control the universe. Uh, it's worker placement plus cards. So there's a little bit of a deck building element to it, along with the worker placement, which is an interesting setup. And it also, unlike a lot of these other ones, has a combat mechanic. You can try to build up forces and armies and stuff and then send them out to go literally conquer chunks of Arrakis. I have it. I've read through the rules. I have yet to sit down with a group and play it. I imagine we will at some at some point. Yeah, I, I'd like to do that. Um, it's definitely a complicated game, but there's a reason it's at the top of the board game geek list for worker placement games. People like Dune Imperium. It's an award winner. We'll have to do a uh, we'll have to do Dune Imperium and then the original Dune board game and do a showdown. The ultimate showdown of ultimate... Destiny. Dune... Dunistry? Whatever. Well, I don't even know if you could have an ultimate showdown of ultimate destiny for Dune because Paul already knows it's going to happen. Yeah, he can see where the Bene Gesserit cannot. That's all I had for that, Well, um... Worker placement games. So we've talked about a bunch of them, uh, and there are a ton more. There's hundreds of ones that we have not talked about that get into all sorts of other like settings and mechanics. Uh, there are cyberpunk ones. There's science fiction exploration ones. There's a whole bunch of historical ones because worker placement works really well for talking about historical time periods and, you know, building your city or empire or whatever. Um, And I think worker placement games are one of the interesting ones in that they are a very recent mechanic. Only about 25 years old. So, you know, unlike dice rolling games and card games, worker placement is new. I mean, it is kind of hard to beat out the history of dice rolling games unless you want to go back beyond the Romans. 
yes yes you dice dice racing games are i think back to the mesopotamians even um where you would roll dice and then move like a little token along a thing um but so worker placement games are relatively new uh i would say along with deck building games and i mean that in sort of drafting deck building and not uh the uh collectible card games which have been around for a bit longer we did an entire episode on it go back and listen to that if you want to learn about collectible card games yeah i think um, deck builders like that those are within like the last 15 years yeah i would say so deck builders are again a very new game setup and one that we will talk about in its own episode at some point but worker placement games quite new and because of that they sometimes take a little longer to explain to people who don't generally play board games which is a little bit of a downside because well it's not a mechanic that you played with when you were playing board games as a kid for most people um it's not a mechanic that has reached the level of mechanics as you see in monopoly or even Catan, which is dice rolling and playing cards um again we will talk deeply about why i don't like Catan in its own episode we'll we'll do a history and uh yeah i have my reasons <laughs> Catan knows what it did and so Worker placement games, they're newer. They can sometimes be harder to teach people. But what about their class characteristics? Hey, that's about what I was going to ask. Well, I'm asking you. I mean, the, the fact that you are placing the workers, doesn't that make you the capitalist, the owner class, if you are telling the workers where to go rather than them doing their own their own placement, their own organizing. Yeah, I would seem it would seem that way. One thing I would like to see more than just straight up worker placement where it's like, okay, here's your, you know, plot of land or here's, I don't know, the, the engine you're trying to build um, is more, more games themed around, like trades or labor, I think there's there could be something interesting there, something like construction, which I'm somewhat biased, <clears throat> excuse me, in that direction. Um, I don't know, something more about like the trades themselves or the labor itself, rather than just the worker is going here and they're doing their job to get me points. Uh yeah, I could see an interesting worker placement game where perhaps you play as the union on Ooh, a job site. Yeah, that would be a good And one. your goal is to have the most people employed or to, you know, complete union contracts and you get points for doing stuff that makes the workers happier. Yeah, I like that idea. That's um, a good one. Yeah, call it job site or something. <laughs> job site. I feel like... I feel like that could be an interesting game because you take the standard concept of, hey, you place the workers to build the building and they go out there with little hammers and there's a big cloud of dust and then the building goes up and flips it on its head and shows the back end and shows what the workers are doing and what the workers actually want. Um, so that's and then maybe the mafia comes come and breaks with. your legs when you uh, refuse to honor the contract. 
Oh yeah, the foundation is 40% snitch by volume. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a thought. Uh, I do like the worker placement for exploration games. Uh, Parks, for example, is, you know, a great, great version of that, where the worker placement is less about actual work and more about expending your resources to do something new and go somewhere. Um, that's an interesting idea and you could probably do a cool space version of that, assuming no one's already done that, which I think pe people probably have, but maybe like a historical space exploration where you're placing your resources and the resources, instead of being meeples are space rovers, as you try to gain science from going to Mars and Venus and flying past the outer planets and stuff. Hmm. That could be interesting. Again, just just a thought on what you could do worker placement wise that hasn't already been done to death because i feel like the historical and fantasy like farming ones have kind of been done to death at this point yeah i feel That's like the you... easiest way to do a worker placement is literal workers that you then place i feel like there's there's definitely potential in room to explore more of the glass consciousness dynamic of workers and workers in board games. If you want to go beyond just go here, do the thing, get points. I feel like yeah. there's there's a lot of a lot of territory that you could cover in that one. Cuz I can't even think of any really good examples. Um power Cogs grid and kind of uh eh, maybe that one's more about like revolution. Yeah, that one's a joke about revolution. Yeah, Power Grid, as far as I know, doesn't really talk about the workers at all. It's just about the grid. Yeah, it's it's kind of like in in that vein of like you were doing something with, you know, this industry or trade, but it's not focused on the workers or what they're doing. Yeah, in the same way that Ticket to Ride ignores all of that in order to simplify the game to the point where it can be played by children. I, I do like Ticket to Ride, but yeah, a, a version of Ticket to Ride where you have to, like, negotiate with unions to get your railroads built would be entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, I, when when this idea came into my head the other day, I didn't even think to look and see if there's anything outside of, or I guess just worker-related in general, not specifically worker placement. I don't know why that didn't occur to me. Um, there is a board game just called Union. Um, and there are a few other um, board games that are related to labor stuff. There don't seem to be a whole lot of them in general. Well, that seems it seems like fertile ground for a uh, proletarian leftist game company to move on in and then get called woke looks like there was one on kickstarter about labor revolts a couple of years ago it's called strike the game of worker rebellion it's like a sci-fi union i'll have to see if i can find some more information about this one because that actually looks kind of interesting. I like their design and their setup. 
1978, Avalon Hill published a game called Class Struggle. Class Struggle, is that That was about Marxist politics. Uh, It looks very much like a sort of Monopoly clone. One second here while I look for this one, see if it's one that I recognize. It's very old school. I mean, it was published in 1978, so. Oh, yeah. I feel like I think I came across this one when I was looking for Soviet board games, and this was like a parody one because there's a there were several board games made during that Cold War era that were kind of like parodies of communism, socialism, or Soviet politics. I think that was one of them that I came across. Yeah, I don't know if that one. I'm going to ignore it. (laughs) I don't know if that one is actually parody. Um. Because it, yeah, I, I mean, I'd have to look for it more, but it seems to be Marxist rather than communist, and it's about workers having issues. Um, again, would have to do actual research on it to determine if it's parody or not. I'm not doing any research. This is Labor Day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing that right now, but... This 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 topic came in in my head like less than... 48 hours ago and even then I didn't do any research for it (laughs) yeah yeah I mean it 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 looks like it might be pro-Marxist because it's got like a workers political party is formed and trade unions are formed as like events that happen in the game and that's not the terminology you would use if you were trying to parody them interesting I'll have to look around on, uh, uh, what you call it, Tabletop Simulator, see if anybody's thrown that up on there. Because you can find some weird shit on the Tabletop Simulator mods. But yeah, I think class class struggle, stuff like that, in general, is probably ripe for board game ideas. Yeah. Oh, I guess there's also, if we're talking class struggle and classic stuff, Guillotine. Uh, I have heard of that one. I haven't played it, though. I have played it. It's, uh, you know, it's about the French Revolution and collecting the heads of nobles. Nice. So, uh, yeah. Um, It's more of a, like, play cards to manipulate the line to get points thing. Um, But, yeah. It uh, certainly has some level of class consciousness because you are cutting off the heads of the nobles. Have you heard of a game called uh, Red Carnations on a Black Grave? No, but that's a long game title. It's a hybrid social deduction RPG game about the uh, Paris Commune. And each player has like three or four identities that they're trying to play at once. And basically, there's your revolutionaries who are trying to keep the revolution and the commune going. And then there are other cards that are uh, like the reactionary forces, the cops, monarchists, what have you. And so you're trying to role play both of those characters at the same time to try and get rid of uh, 
try and get rid of the reactionaries, it's it's an interesting idea because it's it both has like card and actual gameplay mechanics, but also a lot of role playing stuff. Um, I don't remember many more of the specifics about the gameplay, but it was one I saw a couple of years ago. I was like, huh, that looks interesting. I will likely never get a group together to play that. Yeah, that seems. I've heard interesting, it's interesting, but also really historically specific. Yeah, it was um, it was written kind of like as a like a history kind of thesis project idea um, by the original author. They're like, hey, this is an area that I am studying. I want to, you know, make a game. And this is what they came up with. Yeah, so that's been worker placement games and other worker related games, I guess, worker power games, including ones that we should really get in on while trying to make that game about job sites and unions. Yeah. Um, One of these days, like I keep saying, I'm just going to get off of my my worker ass and actually make some games. Yeah, well, I'm working on maps and stuff now, so, you know, if people want to go on our website and look at those, you should. You should do it. They're good. They're good? Yeah. I've got one on our website, a couple on our Twitter. I'm going to have more on our website this next week. So, yeah. So, we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, and today we're going to talk about Love Letter, which is a card game. Uh, Love Letter is a card game for two to six players designed by Sajini Kanai in originally introduced in 2012. It is currently published by Z-Man Games, a subsidiary of Asmodee. Boo. Yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, That does mean that the game gets published everywhere and you can find it anywhere. I mean, that is Um, that, that is an advantage of having Asmodee as your backer. It gets everywhere. But everything else, boo. Yeah. Uh, Love Letter has won a serious pile of awards, uh, starting in 2012 at Origins, and then 2013 Golden Geek, and then some Spiel der Jahres stuff in 2014. It It's won a bunch of awards. It is a fairly simple card game where you essentially have a stack of cards with a name and a, like, strength one through eight on them and then there are more of the weaker cards and fewer of the stronger ones and at the start of each round everybody is dealt one card and the rest are in a deck in the middle on your turn you draw a card from the deck and then play one of the two cards you are now holding Uh, you do whatever the effect on the card does and then the next player gets a turn the effects on the card are generally about either seeing other people's hands or doing stuff to like eliminate other people by like trying to guess what card they have in their hand or comparing hands to see who has the lower value and that person with the lower card gets knocked out or protecting yourself for a turn um or forcing somebody else to discard your hand and draw a new one um if you you, there's a variety of effects that these cards have And the goal is to either knock everybody else out or run out the deck to where there are no cards left and be the person with the highest card. Um, 
So it's very quick because it takes maybe 10 minutes for a round, if that. Um, and the idea is that at the end of each round, you get a token. And once someone has a certain number of tokens, it can range from three to seven, depending on how many players you have, that person wins. So it's a sequence of rounds uh, to gain tokens. Now, originally this was done in like a, it's called Love Letter because it's set in like the palace intrigue sort of style, uh, maybe Renaissance or Baroque period, where you're, the cards are like the guard, the priest, the baron, the handmaid, the prince, the king, the countess, and the princess. But because it's such a simple concept and because it's just, you know, so cards many with different styles. It has had so many spinoffs. Uh, there was a Legend of the Five Rings version that had like Asian-inspired really? stuff. Yes. Um, remember, I the original game, the um, Seiji Kanai. He's a Japanese guy. Mm. So doing it in a like Asian-inspired thing was basically just a theme version where they the rules were identical they just used asian inspired art uh there was a munchkin version there's a <laughs> christmas themed letters to santa version there's a batman themed version uh that's the version i first played honestly that's it that's the one that i always seem to see everywhere yeah i don't, uh, I don't know why it's fun i like the batman version uh there's an adventure time version hmm. there's an archer version <laughs> uh, I've played that one. It's quite fun. Um, there's a Lovecraft version. That uh, that one could get a little dicey. Yeah. Um, there's a, you know a bunch of different, highly specific Japanese ones that are like themed after a specific manga or show that, like, are time to release with that. Um, Here's a question. Is there such a thing as too many spinoffs for a board game? Eh. Yes, but not for a board game like this, which is, like, card-themed. These are very small little card game things. There's a Marvel one that's Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, there's a Star Wars one that's set in Jabba's Palace. Oh, boy. You know, there are a bunch of spinoffs of it. A bunch of them are specifically in Japanese, which, cool. That's where the game's from, so doing that's fine. Uh, a bunch of them are, you know, other properties to make it easier to get into the game. I think this is a really solid, really quick, fast-paced game. Uh, you can play it even with people who aren't as into board games because you just have to do whatever the card says. There's not actually a board. I've played it with my parents. They enjoyed it. Uh, we were playing the Archer version. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, Love Letter. Pick it up at your local game store. Pick up a Love Letter game at your local game store, I guess. You can probably get it for 15 bucks or less. I've played it a few times, but it was so long ago that I don't remember what my opinion on it was. It's perennially in the, like, buy this game as a gift for someone category of board games. Yep. And that's Board Game Corner. Woo! 
as always, thanks for listening. This has been Knoll Country. You can follow us on Twitter at Knoll Country. You can uh, go to our website, which is knollcountry.com. You can follow us on Instagram. We don't really post much there. Uh, look at our maps. I'm posting those on other places like Reddit. Go on Reddit and upvote our maps. You can leave us a review. You can, you know, give us a thumbs up on whatever podcasting app you're listening on. Ed, what do you have to say to people? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Adam Madness and see all of my shenanigans there. Uh, give some cash to True Colors United to help all the queer kids. You can donate to your reproductive justice funds. Uh, join a union, seize your means of production, start a fight with your boss, whatever your prerogative is, and Go Knowles. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.